Well, guys, thank you all for being here. Uh, I appreciate, you know, I know that Saturday mornings are a hard time for people. I know that you want to get your yard work going while it's not raining yet and all that good stuff. So I genuinely do appreciate you guys being here. Um, appreciate your faithfulness. The guys I see here every week uh, or every month, I really do. I really genuinely mean that. I genuinely appreciate having you guys here. Um, today we're going to talk about what I think is like the oddball chapter in this book. And if you saw... If you saw the, the list of, t- of habits, it was probably the one that stuck out to you maybe the most. Like, what, that's, is that a, why is this in here? Um, so why is there a chapter on marriage in this book? Because uh, this is a book about parenting, I guess. It's a book about households, so I guess from that sen- standpoint, it makes sense. But I looked at this and thought, isn't this a parenting book? And, you know, the reality is few things about uh, a few things affect our kids' lives, like a stable, healthy marriage uh, between us and our spouse, uh, us and our wives. We're all guys here, so I'll speak in those specific terms. Um, The health of a parent's marriage has huge effects on our kids' development. Uh, I've recently started being a... uh, (laughs) You're not exactly stealthy, Jim. Uh, (laughs) The stealth of like a drowning clown. Um, uh, it's good. Just walk by. It's fine. I do appreciate you, though, picking up everybody's dishes, including my own. So I do appreciate that, Jim. Um, but so my wife and I just recently started being uh, serving as foster parents with the state of Louisiana. And please pray for us and, and all of them as we do that. Um, but you go through training and you learn that study after study shows that that a safe, stable, healthy, consistent environment for your kids to grow up in predicts huge neurological benefits and feelings of uncertainty, felt lack of safety does the opposite. So if your kids don't feel my parents are in a good place, there's a stable place here, there's going to be some hurdles for them to overcome. Can God help them overcome those things? Absolutely. But one of the best foundations that we can give them is a healthy marriage they can look at and model after eventually and also just know that they're in a place where they can be safe and be themselves. Uh, so that is why I think that this is a parenting topic. Uh, you know, Justin in the, books t- in the book talks about, he uses the phrase, uh, the household is the school of love. And y'all may remember that phrase from the book. Um, and... I don't, I mean, this is clearly the, probably the best way for us to show that is uh, I want to model love in how I love my wife. Um, I want my kids to know love in this way. And there's kind of four parts as I think about it. I want them to know that God loves them. I want them to know that I love them. And then I want them to know that they're called to love God and they're called to love others. So first that, that vertical love that they're receiving and then my horizontal love they're receiving, and then reciprocating those things outward. Um, so that's the first question. The second question, is marriage a habit? Because um, some of these things are very habitual. Dinner time is a habit. Bedtime is a habit. Is marriage a habit? Um, and I think as I thought about that question, the answer is it should be. It better be. It may not be. <laughs> um, but just like any other facet of our lives, Marriage is practically composed of regular habits, whether you like it or not, honestly. Uh, It's the question of do you have good habits or bad habits? Um, So my role as a husband is to create within my family habits in my marriage that 
demonstrate God's love for us uh, and his union with his people. And that's the topic we're going to really focus on today because I was thinking about marriage and what's the point of the habits that Justin outlines in the book. And union was the big thing. So I'm gonna, we're going to talk about marriage as union and how to grow in union with our wives. And now before all you guys get so excited, I'm going to talk about union with your wife. Just know that I'm not going to try to convince you of the one type of union with your wife that you are not in need of convincing of. Uh, you may need uh, instruction, but you don't need encouragement. So I'm going to work in the area of encouragement of other forms of union with your wife that I think are uh, equally important, if not more so. Uh, so to do this, we're going to go back, and Pastor Peter would be so proud of me, we're going to go to Genesis. So if you want to like look at two passages in your Bible, uh, if you have a cool Bible app that can switch between two passages, that's great. We're going to be in Genesis 2, and we're going to be in Ephesians 5 for just a few minutes, and then we're going to work to some of the practicals. Um, so let's start with Genesis 2, the creation of man and woman. We all know this passage. Some of you may have had it said at your wedding. Um, Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, he's just made man. So that's kind of where we're at. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called uh, every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord, caused a, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. That's verse 33. Um, I want to highlight a few things that just kind of quick notice some points here and kind of build a case for you guys. First thing in verse 18, um, God says, it's not good that the man should be alone. And I, I was laying in bed. This was a topic, the point that hit me last night. I had to edit my notes this morning because I was like, you know what? It's weird that God said it's not good. I've heard this before. But good requires like a comparison to what is good. So there's something that's good and this is not good. But God is not comparing Adam's state to some third-party arbitrator determining whether or not it's good that he should be alone or not. God is the arbiter of what is good or not good. So God is saying, there is something in the way that I've made you that is not good, and I am good, so you are not completely reflecting who I've made you to be at this moment. There is a the goodness isn't done yet. Um, he's not comparing him to what the manual says about how people are supposed to live. He's comparing him to what his job is on the earth. I think it's really interesting because, and the fact that, again, he could have just done this all at once, but there's a story God's telling of did this, and then he did this. He made man, and then he made woman because he's highlighting an important element there. 
So then he makes all the animals, raises them all out of dirt as he did Adam, right? Creates them out of the, out of the earth and breathes life into the, the man and creates all the animals out of the earth. Um, but there's not a helper fit for him. It's in verse 20. And again, we ask, why, why didn't God just make a man that didn't need help? Like, God gets to decide everything here. He is making the universe from scratch, and he doesn't have a boss that he has to report to, to, you know, like, did I do okay? He could have made a man that just didn't need help. Um, what is the point of this, like, human redundancy that he's instrumenting, uh, implementing here? Um, it's, a, it's just, again, God's teaching us something. We get more inklings... As Adam says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Uh, he, he gets the point here. He sees the difference between him and the animals. Um, he was made out of the ground. They were made out of the ground. But they're different in nature than him. This other being that he has just met, and like the first thing he does is sings a song the first time he meets her. Um, she is out of his flesh. And I think it's really telling here. Every single other living creature God made. Clump of dirt, go. Clump of dirt, go. Clump of dirt, go. There is something to, he's made this man and then he takes from the man. There is a union already implicit there. There is a oneness in nature and in essence between these two human beings that God has created. So he takes them, he pulls this piece out of her, out of him, breathes life into Eve. You've got man and you've got woman. And then Moses writes, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So the joining is, it's a rejoining. It's Woman was pulled out from man, created for a purpose to demonstrate the oneness, but the separateness, and then reunited to man in oneness again. There is a story here that God is telling of, of union in essence and in nature and of commonality that is painting. Remember, why did God make man and woman? In his image, in his likeness, right? Man and woman, he, male and female, he created them. So he creates man in his image. Male and female, he created them. There's an implication there, or really an explication there, that the man and the woman together are required to relate something about this communal triune God, right? So the fact that there's two of us, two genders, tells us something about the nature of God, the communal nature of the triune God. And that's where he leaves us in Genesis. We fast forward to the New Testament. So flip to Ephesians 5. Because then the Apostle Paul like pulls the curtain back a little more for us. And if you didn't have one of these passages read at your wedding, you may have had the other. Um, Ephesians 5, 25, I'm going to go through 32. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without any, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife 
loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So, in the same way, verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. We're called to love our wives and our own bodies because, as we've seen in Genesis, from God's perspective, our wives are our own bodies. We are their own bodies. There is a union. There is a commonality there. Um, you know, he goes on, he says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Then he goes with, therefore man shall leave his father and his mother. And he says, this mystery is profound. Um, so first of all, that nourishing and cherishing, by the way, and we'll hit on the word cherish a little bit later. I love that that image that Christ doesn't just accept us. He doesn't just forgive us. He doesn't just put up with us. He nourishes and cherishes us. He doesn't forgive us because oh, on a technicality, I guess the sacrifice already got paid. <laughs> he cherishes us. The only other place we see this in the new Testament, by the way, this word is a mother cherishing and like nursing and caring for a baby. Like there is a, tenderness in this passage. And it's even more remarkable that he is cherishing this one who is the cause of his suffering. We were the cause of his suffering and torment and, and pain on the cross. And yet he nourishes us and cherishes us. You, your wife will never cause you more pain than you've caused Jesus. You don't have an excuse not to cherish her. Okay. Let's just leave that there for a second. But he does this because we're not just another entity. We've become actually one with him. We're joined with him by God's grace. And so in caring for us, he cares for himself. And he says, you likewise do this. And this passage here, I, you know, I've read this a lot of times. I think this is the first time it's jumped out at me. When, when Paul says this mystery is profound, I look back at that passage. I'm like, not a whole lot else in that is really mysterious. The loving your wife isn't mysterious. It's the union with Christ that's mysterious. He's like, this oneness with you and your wife, that's, that's a mystery. How are you two people, one people? Um, he's like, and that's, that's the point. He's like, that's why we're doing this whole thing. That's why God made this thing this way. That's why you're called to join together is because you are reflecting Christ and the church. You are a picture of the gospel. And this is not some convenient thing where God made the universe, sent Jesus, and then he's trying to figure out how to explain to people what Jesus did. And he's like, how do I depict union with Christ? Um for your feeble little minds. Uh, it's like, you know, marriage, you know how like you're married and like you're two of you, but there's one of you, you live in the same house, you do, you ride in the same car places. It's, like, it's kind of like that. No, no, 
God from the beginning of the universe. All right. I have this salvation plan and I need, all right. So I'm, well, we'll get there in a second. Uh, I have this salvation plan and I, my son is going to be united with these people in this mysterious way. How can I image that? I'll make two of them and I'll, they'll be separate and they'll be different. And then miraculously, I'm going to make them one. I'm going to be like, Hey, that's what this is like. So don't put the cart before the horse. God puts things in the world to reveal to us his truth. He doesn't scramble to find good analogies after the fact. Okay. Um, and then, and by the way, I, I think this is interesting here. The only other place where this, a man shall leave his husband, uh, his father, father and mother and cling to his wife. You know, the only other place where we hear that is when Jesus is talking to the, uh, in the new Testament is when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about divorce. And in some ways, I was like, you know what? That actually makes that not just a teaching on marriage and divorce, but that's a really, I think that's a, that's a strong case that can be made for the, the doctrine of the preservation of the saints. He's like, no, you're united. Just like the church and I are united. We're united. You don't separate that. You can't separate that. He, I think in that passage, there's, a, there's, a, there's an overtone of the permanency of the union of Christ with his church. Um, he hates divorce because it lies about him. And it lies about his union to us. But then it gets even crazier. So John 17, I don't know that I have the full passage in you, in you guys' notes. I may have had to cut it out for space. But when Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer for his disciples, he says, I do not ask for these only. This is John 17, 20 through 23. But also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Uh, I'm going to pause right there. That is like 12 lectures worth of teaching right there. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. By the way, you see the be one and become. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Like that seriously is like a whole year worth of sermons right there. Um, but the big idea is this. Our union in marriage is illustrative of, or illustrative if you want to pronounce it that way, of our union with Christ. And our union with Christ is illustrative of the triune God. So back when I was saying God made this thing called marriage to illustrate union with Christ, God built union with Christ because it's an overflow of his nature as this communal, loving, intertwined being. He's like, how do I get people to know how I am? I'm going to welcome them into that by union with me through my son. How do I get them to understand that? Through marriage. So that's the order God's thinking in here, but it all goes back to his purpose of revealing his nature. So your marriage says something about the nature of God. And if that doesn't put a huge burden on you mentally, um, I need to come to you for counseling because that is a big thought for me and my brain to deal with. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> now here's the problem. We saw John say there, we be one and also become one. And that's this idea of union is both a completed act and it's an in-progress work, okay? 
Our union with Christ, and by the way, I've heard people teach on union with Christ by going to marriage and saying, hey, marriage is a good illustration for union with Christ, how you're married and then you're still in progress. That's perfectly fine. I'm just teaching about that, so I'm going to use this as the illustration to teach that. Does that make sense? Instead of going in the other direction. When you are saved, you are as saved as you're going to be right? You are united to Christ. You will never be more united to Christ factually. Uh, Just like you'll never be more justified factually. Practically, how many of you can tell me that there are days when you feel more in union with Christ than other days? There's days when you feel like a bum and there's days where you feel like you're, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm in sync with the spirit. I feel like what's going on here. Um, that is normal. Okay. Just know that that's normal. Um, our union with Christ will vary. Hopefully if you're looking at a bar at a, at a chart, it hopefully is doing this and going upward in terms of the sensation to which you're going to feel the union with Christ. You're going to experience that progressive growth, but it's going to vary day to day. And it's, it is a thing that you grow in over time. And in the same way, you think about, about Jesus' teaching right before that high priestly prayer, prayer on the vine and the branches, right? That's, his, that's Jesus' biggest teaching on this topic of union with Christ. Um, he describes it with a declarative and an imperative. Abide in me. Abide in me. You abide in me, uh, so abide in me. You have my word in you. Keep your commandments. Keep my commandments. And... You know, what's interesting is uh, this isn't just some special treatment of us. This is a crazy thought to me. In that same passage, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So there's a condition there for the experience of abiding as we keep God's commandments. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus, unified with the father, experienced experiences abiding with him and union with him as he keeps his commandments, as he grows in him. Um, That's a big thought, but it's comforting to know that I'm walking in the footsteps of Jesus who has walked this road before me. Um, I'm never going to be taking it to our marriage here any more united to my wife than I was when we got married. We are married. I'm not kind of married because we had a fight. I'm not, uh, kind of married because I'm out of town. Uh, you know, maybe we're just, you know, sometimes like you feel like you're speaking different languages sometimes. Y'all ever have that with your wives? Like, I'm, like I'm, I'm not even mad at you. I just don't understand what's going on right now in this conversation. You're not all of a sudden magically ununited then. You're just having a struggle feeling the experience of the union. Um, that's, that's a normal part of marriage. We grow in union, but we're not, any more factually united or less factually united when we're having a better or a worse day. Uh, We're just experiencing that fact practically and tangibly to varying degrees. And the good news is that there are habits. This is where we get to the habits here that we can put into place that will help us to walk in a deepening union with our wives, to grow in our abiding together and in feeling like experiencing the oneness that, that God ordained for us to have when he made this whole thing from the beginning. So I want to talk through some of these habits here. 
And these are, this is where we go from like the kind of mind-boggling theology. And let me just tell you about this. Uh, there's a great book. I'll, I'll, in my next Pops newsletter, I will include a link to this book called Union with Christ. Uh, we're teaching right now through uh, the book of 1 John in School of the Word. And, uh, and I had to teach a lot on Union in Christ because John talks a lot about it in that book. And it's one of those ideas that you don't get. You just marinate in. You just, you just, it's a very circular, just kind of sit and meditate on. It's hard to explain. It's easier to just kind of soak in. So if those ideas are like, wow, how are we one with Jesus? And we're in him, but he's in us. And it's like this like Russian nesting doll thing going on. Like you're not just going to get it. It's a, it really is a theology that you need to, a doctrine you need to marinate in. And it's a, it almost, you feel it more than you know it. And it's hard to explain that. Um, but I will encourage you to, I'll, I'll send you that book out. It's a great treatment of the topic. Um, but we're going to move from that heady stuff uh, to some real basic practical things. Because at the end of the day, um, growing in union with Christ and growing in union with our wives, as I always say, it's not easy, but it's simple. Okay? There are simple things that we can do. And so we're going to talk starting with daily habits and then zooming out, if you will. Um, and let's start with daily habits. So my, my wife and I recently went on a trip. Um, we celebrated 5,000 days of being married, which is a very arbitrary number. It's about 13 and a half years or so, if you're, if you're curious. Um, and it's because I, I have this idea that, that we celebrate anniversaries, like we celebrate the years. Um, but marriage happens in the days. Marriage happens in the day-to-day. It's the ground war side of things. It's the, it's the grind sometimes. It's the consistency. So we're going to start with there. We're talk about some habits that we put in place there, and then we'll zoom out, like I said. Um, two daily habits. The first one is a daily connect, and this is something that – and I'll tell you, some of these things I'm good at, and some of these things I'm not good at. So I'm not telling you, be like me, okay? Some of these are definitely do as I say, not as I do, and help me to be better at doing as I say. Um, daily connect. So when I come home from work, um, nine times out of 10, I go into my room. I was like, Hey, can we like, I'm say hi to the kids and stuff. And like, Hey, can we go debrief? We just go back and we go in the room and I'll change out of work clothes into my next work uniform, which is my house clothes. So I can put on the dad uniform, right? Uh, it looks like this usually, honestly. And in that process, we'll spend 10 minutes in the room, just talking about what happened that day. What happened? What needs to happen? What's going on tomorrow? How's everybody feeling? Um, anything I need to be aware of? You know, and man, that kind of transparency is huge. Like if I come in, I'm in a grumpy mood because uh, I had a crummy day at work. Like it helps me to just be like, hey, I had a crummy day at work. I'm not mad at anybody in this household right now. I just need you guys to all know that. So if I'm short, at least she understands where I'm at. Uh, if I see her, you know, short or irritable with a kid, it helps me to know that that's the 12th time they've had that conversation that day. And so it's not like she's just flying off the handle for no reason. It's like, no, really, at this point in time, like we're looking for a U-Haul box to put you in and ship you off. Like you have reached the limit. Um, it helps us to just be on the same page, be in sync, know what's mattering to each other in that moment. And those, like, it's never anything big. It's just 10, 15 minutes, but every day, just, all right, where are we at? What are we doing? What's the game plan? What do we need to do? What did I forget about? What popped up? Um, it keeps you from being surprised by things. It's just, it's such a little thing. Um, 
And then we'll eat dinner and we go do our thing. And then the other one is communal prayer. And I, this happens at bedtime. And I'm not always good at this, honestly. This is what I'm not, I need to be better at. But when we pray together, when I pray for my wife and when I pray with my wife for things, and when I hear her pray for me and pray for things with me, we hear each other's heart. We hear each other's burdens. We hear priorities. We hear what's weighing on us. We hear what we value. When I hear my wife pray for me in a certain area, especially if it's like, growing in a certain area, I'm like, oh, you'd probably like it if this changed, right? It's like, if my wife is praying for me for, for peace and patience, I'm like, I'm probably irritable and impatient right now. And she's finding the most polite way to share that with me. Um, I don't recommend you praying for your wife that way. Maybe you do, but by yourself, uh, let her be the one that, that puts that on you. Um, but no, seriously, as we pray together, we our hearts are knit together. We get on the same page. We get on the same agenda. And it's just hard to be so, like mad at somebody you're praying with and praying for. That's really hard to do. Um, so those two habits, just a daily connect and a daily prayer. We deal with the horizontal logistics of relationships and we deal vertically with those logistics as well. Neither of those need to be very long. Usually, honestly, by the time my wife and I are in bed, like, I, like, you know how many times I've been praying with my wife and like fallen asleep in the middle of praying and like dozed off and realized I'm like rambling incoherently? It's because I'm just exhausted. It doesn't have to be some big deal, but it's those little connect points that matter. Next step, um, weekly. And, you know, I'm going to pause here for a second because God gives us graces to grow in union with him. So if daily habits is like your quiet time, your weekly habits are going to be like, church. Eh, that happens every week. Uh, regular church attendance, fellowship of believers. Yearly is like men's retreat, okay? So think about those scales, and we're just going to put, if those give you like analogs to compare to. Date night, a regular time without kids to just enjoy being together. You cannot simply live as co-parents. You cannot, this, you want to become roommates? Ignore this part, Okay. Here's the thing, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later. This won't happen without a plan. You need a plan to do this. You need to put this on your calendar. It doesn't need to be elaborate. It doesn't need to be expensive. It doesn't even need to be out of the house. We kind of figured that out during COVID. It's like, oh, we need to like, figure out how to do date night at home. Pro tip, especially those of you with young, like younger kids, give your kids a $5 bill. Be like, I will give you $5 if I don't see you again for the rest of the day. Like seriously, that is a billion dollars to them. That is a billion dollars to a five-year-old, okay? Here's a $5 bill. Y'all go watch a movie upstairs, see y'all in the morning. It always works. It always works unless somebody like breaks a leg or catches on fire or something because they're like, I have infinite money right here and it's the cheapest babysitting you're ever gonna get. And you can just do a basic at-home date. You can go sit on the back porch and you know, have a glass of wine and, and just talk, and, you know, take, uh, pick up, take out, Simple stuff, like it doesn't have to be elaborate. Um, but what matters more is that you're, you're planning, you're intentional, you have questions to ask, you, you get to know each other, you connect, and, and you're not just, you know, these people's parents. Um, I do think getting out of the house every once in a while is valuable. Because I, I think there's, amount, there's that feeling, you know that feeling of when you get out of the car, like to walk to a restaurant, let's say, and you're like, there's nobody else to get out of the car. It's, it's just you and me getting out of the car. 
walking how we feel and not having to make sure everybody's getting across the street. Like just being responsible only for yourselves. What a feeling. It's great. Um, this is the time to deepen friendship and remind each other that you're adults and that you relate to each other first as adults. And if you lose that, you'll lose the other part. Uh, quarterly or yearly habit, uh, some kind of planned getaway. Time to slow down, linger, rest, refresh, reflect, encourage. It could be out of town. It could be, you know, a day trip. It could be a staycation. It could be like quarterly. Sometimes like we'll just send the kids to like the in-laws for a night and we'll stay home. Like we don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to get a hotel. I don't have to do big elaborate stuff. But it's just time to like not, like again, you just get to make dinner at home and just chill and you get to set your alarm for, I don't care when o'clock. I know that a kid's not gonna come down at six in the morning and wake you up. You get to just linger and slow down. And that rest, that rhythm of rest together is huge. It's again, less about what we're doing and where we're going. Those things are great, but it's more about me connecting with you, me slowing down and, and making sure that my attention is on you. Um, simple habits, daily, weekly, yearly. And you have to figure out what these things look like according to your budget for time and for money and for energy and what your kids are like and all those things. Um, but just like if you remember my D&D talk, like if you don't have a plan where there's no plan, the people perish, right? Um, how many of y'all do all of these things consistently? Anybody? Cool. I'm not the worst husband here. I don't think. I might still be. But okay, good. Why don't we do this? I have three reasons. And this is like the old salesman in me with like overcoming objections. So we're just going to talk about these three things. <clears throat> Reason number one. Do I have cost with you guys first on your list? Okay. I thought about order on these and I just want to make sure you got the right one. Time and money. Um, our time and money follow our priorities. My wife is a photographer and she takes pictures of people meeting their babies, which is really cool. Um, and it's funny because she'll take pictures for people who don't live in big houses, don't have a whole lot of money, but they'll pay good money for her work. And she takes pictures of people with big houses and fancy cars who will like haggle and nickel and dime her and then not pay her. She's got people who like, you know, you've got like, you're like two doctors, but you won't pay this, this bill. Because the fact is that people put their money and their time where they value it. We show our priorities where we put these things. Um, Justin Buzzard, this book is, is about 10 years old, maybe 12 years old. It's, it's old. Um, has a book called Date Your Wife. Real simple. I think it actually has like a pointing finger on the cover. Just like date your wife. Um, and he has a, a really great breakdown. I'll share the link to this book as well um, of all of his date nights. Now, again, you have to adjust for inflation because this was written about 10, 15 years ago. Um, but he goes through this whole plan of like what I do every month and what the budget is every month for this. And he totals it out. And he says total annual cost, $2,425. Again, adjusted for inflation. Maybe that's $4,000. I don't know. And you don't have to do yours the same size cost of not doing this question mark because the reality is when we spend money we see the cost when i when i write a check or when i swipe my card i see that cost come through when the cost is relational when the cost is um a cost to the union with my wife 
when the cost is her frustration and her not feeling encouraged by me, that's a deeper cost that I can't quantify, but I promise it's more expensive than that. Uh, at the end of the day, we need to make a budget for these things. It needs to be a priority for us. We can't say, oh, I just can't do it. Like I said, figure out at-home day nights. Figure something out. Like, make it work. At the end of the day, guys, there's a just make it work side of this, okay? And that's the second part, is the foresight. If we're going to do, like, guys, being a Christian man who's married with kids and is employed is a lot, I have to think through, all right, so I'm a Christian, I'm a man, I'm an employer, an employee, or possibly an employer, uh, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a churchman, um, I serve in the church in some ways, I teach this, um, I have to have a plan or I will fail. Uh, sometimes I do even when I have a plan, but if I don't have a plan, I'm going to miss things. And I know, like, I can feel it. Even like this last week, we had a, a foster placement and it took a lot of more conversation. Those, those debrief times became longer. They became like nighttime debriefs in the last like an hour. And, and I'll tell you what, like when my schedule gets thrown off, my plan gets thrown off, I'm not right. My wife is like, you need to get back on your plan. You need to be like, instead of staying up late and then waking up late, you need to go to bed early. You need to wake up early. Whatever your thing is, guys, we need a plan. And so it means sitting down with your wife and putting these things on the calendar. It means putting a budget aside for this, even if it's a cash, if that helps you, like put the things in place to make this, like put the structure in place. And that date night is an appointment. It's we're going out Thursday nights. Um, this is, or whatever it is for you. We're doing this thing this night. Um, I need to be better about that, honestly, in this area of my life specifically, and not being like, oh, we can sacrifice that, not making it expendable, plan it and mean it. Um, this third reason, though, I really want to touch on here, it, this fear element, because I think there's a couple of types of fear we're dealing with. Uh, let me know if any of these thoughts resonate with you guys or don't. You may just feel it. I never know what she wants. Uh, I'll just mess it up. Uh, it's been too long. Uh, it's too late to start. We've gotten to where we feel more like roommates or maybe like we're in a place where we're not in a good place in our marriage. We're not relationally in a good place. Um, you know, I think it's good, honestly, if your wife still makes you a little nervous. Uh, I say that. Like you still get a little bit of those butterflies. Um, I, was, I was mentioning, yeah, I mentioned we had a, we had a foster placement. And she was eight and she, like, we got the call that she was coming and it was like a couple of hours before she came. And I told my wife, I was like, this feels like a first date. Like, I'm so nervous. Cause I'm like this little, per I, I hope they like me. You know, you should feel that way on date night. I hope she likes me. I hope I pick a shirt that she likes, you know, I better shave, you know, like all these things, like don't, don't slide into this thing. So sometimes as men our calling is to just face risk. Like there is risk involved in picking a restaurant. Like I'm going to go all out. I'm going to pick a restaurant and I hope she likes it. And if I, if she doesn't, then I'm going to do my homework and figure out what you didn't like. And then I'm going to try better next time. Like there's an, that's our job as dudes is just to take wise risks sometimes. Um, that said, uh, some of these things are a little different. You may be in a place where whisking your wife off on a getaway is not a good idea. Uh, there is a, one of the few funny things that Saturday Night Live has put out recently. There is a great sketch. I, 
I, uh, I may put it in the newsletter as well. Um, Adam Sandler runs a tour. Uh, he's doing a commercial for a, a travel agency called Romano Tours. And it's an Italian tour agency. Like he's from New York. He'll take you to Italy. But the whole commercial is him managing expectations, saying, if you're sad at home, you're going to be sad in Italy. Um, if you, he's like, I can take you hiking. I can't make you the kind of person who likes to hike. I can teach you about great wines. I can't change why you drink. And if you and your spouse don't like each other at home, you're not going to like each other in Italy. Um, and, I, you know, for me, like, that's – I've watched couples do this, by the way, who, like, fight like cats and dogs, who don't get along, who there's, like – you look and, like, there are serious foundational issues here. But they'll go on trips together, and they come back disgruntled. They talk about the trip, but they don't – there's no connection that actually happens there because it's like you've been to men's retreat when you have, like, not had a quiet time in a year, and you haven't read your Bible. And sometimes God does great things, but sometimes not. There's a different feeling when, you've, when you're feeling in, feeling that union with Christ and you walk into a church service or a, a men's retreat situation that, that can really affect you. And you're, it's not like a shift. It's like a, it's a leveling up instead. And I think, so yeah, trying to fix a marriage where you're not relating well by just going on a vacation I could be wrong. I mean, this is not biblical, like, like scriptural. Uh, it seems like a terrible idea to me, to be honest, because all you're doing is putting yourself in a foreign, different situation that gets more expensive and expecting not to fight anymore. Um, you need that daily and that weekly, that groundwork to happen. You may be in a place where even a weekly date night is not a good idea for you, where like you just are right. You're like, just maybe you feel like your marriage is on the brink. Um, so let's talk about a couple of these things. So two suggestions, if, that, if you are in that place or if you know somebody who's in that place. Uh, start with the daily habits and especially daily prayer. Pray with your spouse. Pray for your spouse. Um, connect, talk, dial down the pressure level. Like I said, dates put a little bit of pressure, at least they should. Vacations put more pressure. Um, this last trip Angel and I went on, I had, like, I surprised her. So I had to plan everything. And there was so much, I was so nervous the whole time. Like, I hope she likes this. I hope she likes this. Dates have that too. Start with a low pressure. Start with a regular. Start with a rhythm, a heartbeat. Okay, that's the first step. Uh, you need that slowly, slowly building relational breathing going on. Secondly, um, if you feel like, man, our date nights, just they don't happen and they're crummy when they do. Um, or we're so angry at each other right now that we can't even go on a date. Um, Cherish Marriage Course is coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, it is set up like a date night. They have like desserts. I think you have to eat beforehand now. They have desserts. They have like mood lighting and like calm music playing. And it's a time, like it's not tables like this. It's just like you and your spouse sitting together talking about uh, whatever topic is they, they talked about. Um, yeah, uh, the Burns that we, yeah, and he's still married. So that's good. Um, we, uh, we did like a pilot version a few years ago, uh, when they were first rolling out the idea, just kind of see what it was like and get feedback. And it really is, it's just, it's, it feels different than anything else that we do here. Um, what's that? We did. Well, no, it was, there was no pilot involved. It was just Frank. I don't want Frank flying a plane. Um, 
But uh, we did a we did just like a trial version of it, and we like it just now. If I'm honest, for us, we were in a hard spot, and it was a hard it was a hard time, but it was a good time. We did good work. So, um, if that's you, just think about that. Consider that as hey, this is how I'm going to institute day night. And it's, it has to be every week because that's when it's on the calendar. That's when they're doing it. So we got to do it. And it builds in that accountability and regularity and you get used to that rhythm. So those are just some very practical things I think we can use to put on that union with Christ element. So let's pray and then we will grab drinks or whatever else you need and then we'll have some discussion time. Okay. All right. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for these men who come and who are faithful. I pray that you would, Lord, help us to love our wives well, to love them sacrificially. If it means me going without something else so that I could take my wife on a date, Lord, Lord, help me to be the person who values her more than anything else on this earth that you've given me. Lord, you have treated us that way. You nourish us and cherish us as though we are your own flesh because by the miracle of the union provided through the gospel, we are one flesh with you. And that is a mind-boggling thought, Lord. Uh, Lord, help us to experience that. And Lord, then to pay it forward, if you will, to our wives and help them experience true, relational, essential union uh, in our marriages. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.